0: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the third in the series of IAH Zoom Talks during the COVID crisis. Uh, My name's Andy Perrin. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, I'm a professor in sociology and the director of the Institute for the Arts and Humanities. Um, And I'm thrilled to welcome today um, our two distinguished guests to this talk. Um, Before we do that, though, let me just give you the the necessary bit of, um, of Zoom etiquette. Please leave your microphone muted unless and until you're asking a question um, in the conversation. Um, And during the question and answer period that we'll have, we're hoping this to be a great IAH style conversation. Um, But please um, try and either raise your hand or use the chat function so that we can uh, make sure that everybody can get their comments and thoughts in as well. Um, Our current next scheduled uh, IAH Zoom talk features David Keel uh, on the history of the IAH's involvement in academic leadership. That'll be on April the 28th at 10 a.m., and you can check our website for more information about that. Um, As many of you know, um, IAH is probably unique in the the world of uh, humanities centers and institutes because of its uh, long-time and really successful engagement in academic leadership. Um, many, we have trained many um, outstanding leaders across the college and university, um, and uh, today we have the, the great opportunity to hear from two of those folks who are great champions and friends of the IAH, themselves both alumna of, the, um, of the academic leadership uh, program um, and terrific leaders of the university in this times of crisis. Um, So, I'm happy to introduce them today and begin a conversation about how we engage with the principles of leadership um, that we believe in and we care about at the university in the context of, um, obviously, unprecedented crisis uh, over the last couple of months. Um, Our two guests today are Terry Ellen Rhodes, uh, Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at UNC Chapel Hill, Uh, She has been on the faculty, I believe, since 1987, a Tar Heel born and bred, uh, and a professor and former chair of the music department. Um, And Elizabeth Englehart, John Shelton Reed, Professor of Southern Studies and Professor of American Studies, uh, and Senior Associate Dean for the Fine Arts and Humanities in the College of Arts and Sciences. Um, I've asked the two of them to give a few thoughts about leadership in times of crisis, and then we'll open it up uh, for a conversation among uh, everyone uh, who'd like to participate. Uh, this conversation is being recorded and we will um, edit it and make it available on the IH website uh, in the future as well. So um, let me just begin then by welcoming um, first uh, Dean Rhodes. Thank you,
1: Andy, and welcome everyone who's here today. I, I hope you're staying safe and well in this as Andy says and is the word that we all are using, this unprecedented moment for our country and for our world. Um, I'm so appreciative that Andy and the IH team asked, uh, asked Elizabeth and me here today. We're honored to be here and to share our thoughts about leadership in times of crisis. Yes, extraordinary times for you, for Carolina. But as you know, this university has weathered much and it's 227-year history. Uh, won't even I can recount a few: Civil War, 1918 flu epidemic, two World Wars, many other events of global consequence. I do have great confidence in this university and its community and the tradition that it has to come out of this ever stronger. We're going to be we're going to be going through a tough time. We are but I do have confidence and maybe that's one thing I just wanted to say first. Um, When Kevin was dean of the college, Kevin Guskowitz, before he became chancellor, he used to talk about how Carolina was a leading global public university that was taking on the grand challenges of our time. And obviously COVID-19 is tops among that kind of challenge. I know this talk isn't meant to be specifically about how UNC is responding to the pandemic but the suddenness with which we've all had to respond to ever-changing current events was in a way a crash test for our university's senior leadership and continues to be on a daily almost hourly basis. It's hard to know how good a team you have in place until it's been tested but I, I, want, I do want to talk about our senior leadership team in the college and, and really, I'm so pleased with the way they've performed under these very trying circumstances. And I include Andy Perrin that, in that leadership team too with the way chairs and center directors and others, um, senior associate deans are just, I, r- I really wanna acknowledge all of these leaders, extraordinary efforts, um, who have really worked tirelessly to serve our students, continue our research, and otherwise advance our mission during this pandemic with no clear timeline of a return to normalcy. But let me start my part of the presentation with some of the core attributes for strong leadership, at least the ways I think about it in terms, uh, in, in a time of crisis. I think it's really important to know one's mission, one's vision and values. So of the College of Arts and Sciences, of the university. I do think that's having that as a guiding beacon is critically important. So vision, mission, vision, value, strategic plan, uh, keeping that uppermost in one's mind about the priorities of the institution and how important that is to maintain that as we're going through a difficult period like this. In the College of Arts and Sciences, our mission statement is think, communicate, collaborate, and create for meaningful lives. That's meant to apply to our faculty and staff as well as our students. We kept it short and sweet to make it memorable, but it's really something I keep in mind uh, every day and I think we demonstrate every day. And um, I, I think it's even more important in this time. It was a guide, not just during our strategic planning efforts a few years ago, but also a reminder of the student focus of our mission. And I touched on it briefly already, but number two, I'd say, having a strong leadership team in place is critical. When I became interim dean last February, 2019, there was already a strong team in place. We're talking about Rudy Colorado-Mansfield and, and, and Chris Clemens and Kate Hens and Abigail Panter. I mean, an outstanding team of people. Um, and then I was able to make some important changes in this past year. So obviously, Elizabeth Engelhart, um, whom I named to take my place as Senior Associate Dean of Fine Arts and Humanities, you know, outstanding colleague, you're going to hear more from her today and see what I mean um, And then when Chris Clemens, I moved him into the newly created position of Senior Associate Dean for Research and Innovation, that's been critically important in this past year to have that particular role given we were, you know, in spite of the size and complexity of the college's organization, we were the only school that didn't have a a research dean. And we realized really the importance of that. I know Angela Kasuba is on this call and would know what I'm talking about. Every professional school had a research dean and we we realized that we were missing opportunities. And I think putting Chris in that role has helped us immensely as we work towards realizing the opportunities, especially now. Uh, with regard to research in the College of Arts and Sciences. But then I filled his former position, Chris's, uh, by appointing Jay Cable uh, from Marine Sciences as Senior Associate Dean for Natural uh, uh, for Natural Sciences. And I can't say enough about Elizabeth and Jay. They bring great strength to the team. We work well together. There's a culture of collaboration that we all work for, towards. And um, I really see that as, a, as an important means of creative problem solving. And, you know, COVID-19 is an extraordinary set of circumstances, but I would say all of us in senior leadership in the Dean's office have faced smaller crises through our, through our careers, budgetary crises, personnel crises, floods in buildings, <laughs> oversubscribed classes, I rate donors occasionally. I know we have a lot of development team members here who might have that particular person in mind. That, that's, not, that's, the, that's really not typically the case, but sometimes it happens. Troubling enrollment trends. And all of these experiences have tested us and required us coming up with solutions. I became chair of the music department in 2009. That was uh, right when we were, the, you know, we think of that, that economic downturn. And then the ensuing budgetary constraints that really have been happening through these years, it required taking a look at what was truly, truly necessary, finding creative approaches, trying to find a way to say yes, uh, when, the, when it seemed like, oh my gosh, no, it's not gonna be possible. But again, to try to think creatively, to find a way to make something happen that was so good, Might require a lot of financial resources, but are there other ways to make it happen? Um, So that's been something I've always kept in mind too, to try, and some of you listening to me may say, well, wait a minute, she says no a lot, but I do really try to find a way to yes, if that's possible, I do, I do, I do. Um, I think another attribute for a leader to have in times of crisis is having the ability to model uh, for others and for others on the team and in the community. I think it's important to stay calm, to stay resolute, to stay determined when when the environment is chaotic and unsettling. And um, we've had, you know, I, I'm staying in touch regularly with our chairs in the college and, and others. And we're hearing really, you know, emotional reports of, students and staff and faculty under extreme duress. And um, I think listening is key. Um, And then doing one's best to respond to concerns with compassion and flexibility. You know, we've been making a lot of difficult decisions in in this last month, five weeks, six weeks. And we know that we don't always know what all the ramifications are gonna be, but I think to keep in one's mind that aspect of flex, providing your community, flexibility and compassion, while also keeping that underscoring uh, that, 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 you know, importance of maintaining the excellence of this great institution. It's a balancing act right now, but I, we're doing our best to do that. I have to bring up Brandon Bain. I think he's, he's become a rock star in these last few weeks. You know, he's our religious studies professor, who put out that revised syllabus that kind of went viral. It starts out, nobody signed up for this. And this of course means COVID-19 and all that it has brought in its wake. He talks about it being a time of flexibility, compassion and support for one another. The humane option is the best option and we all agree with that. And, And when you agree to serve as a leader, you do in fact sign up for this, dealing with the unexpected, It's your role, not just to triage in times of extraordinary circumstances, but to provide whatever support and resources you can, plus the vision to see beyond the immediate moment, to to think short-term as well as long-term, and to help anyone who is looking to you for direction. I must say, you know, I think it's so important for all of us to be as responsive and open and accessible to students, staff and faculty. I always have had that as a motto for myself, but even more so now, well, where I'll pick up the phone and talk to a student or a staff member um, and some are reaching out to us like that. I know you're feeling this, having the same situations happen. Donors, alumni, I see Ann Collins, cause she and I are working really hard on a lot of that kind of work, but that is really, really critical now more than ever. Um, and, and I also just want to add one more thing as an artist myself, and here we are with our Institute for Arts and Humanities audience. There is no doubt, and I've always known this, but as we've seen in the last five to six weeks, the way the arts and humanities are bolstering people Mm -hmm. in such a time of, uncertainty and trouble and crisis. And I've turned to it more myself, you know, to these areas myself. I mean, Elizabeth and I were just talking as you all tuned in. I mean, I'm a pianist and a singer myself. And I have, you know, been at home, sit down at the piano much more frequently than I used to. And playing through, I mean, I'm, I really don't practice with regularity like I did as a piano major at Carolina. But I mean, I have, you know, I'm pulling out Bra- uh, Bach preludes and fugues, which are really hard to get back into the fingers, but it, it somehow brings like this order and, and sense sometimes to things or to, you know, play through Chopin etudes and impromptus and, and Brahms, you know, I, I, something about that gives me great peace and serenity. Part of it is that being a part of it. I'm also listening to a lot more music and, and, and um, taking these virtual tours of museums. I mean, I love all the links that we're seeing that are being put out by cultural institutions there or like what we're doing today, what IAH has put forward, what we have, you know, Playmakers is doing, you know, Masterclass with Ray Dooley and we have, you know, Carolina Public Humanities doing virtual Zoom talks and we have, I mean, people are stepping forward across the university, but I have to especially applaud artists and humanists in this period because I do think and I hope that we come out of this with people recognizing more fully the importance of arts and humanities in our lives Mm -hmm. and and not just as a release or a refuge, Mm -hmm. but as an inspiration, as a way to think more broadly, as a way to empathize, as a way to learn, as a way to find insight. I mean, people have known it's there all along but I think in this moment I'm hoping that it will be more broadly recognized of the importance of the arts and humanities. And so I just wanted to say that as well. Um, One other thing I do want to say is I think now is a time for self-care and for care for others really being kind to ourselves and kind to others. And I'm, you know, we're, we have lots of resources, support resources, mental health resources, but just, you know, not being too hard on ourselves. We're doing our best in a very difficult time. I mean, I love to read. I like to play tennis. I like to walk, but just finding joy in those simple moments and whether it's with family or friends, you know, it might be a very, maybe you're by yourself at your home. Uh, Maybe it's just getting on the phone more often or zooming or whatever with your, with your friends and family, but just finding those moments of joy. I'm hoping that that too will be something that continues on after this crisis that we found is really more meaningful in our lives than we ever knew. So, um, I do want to also thank the IAH academic leadership program. I went through it in 2011 when I was chair of the music department right before Karen Gill, our dean, our then dean, named me a senior associate dean. And and what an outstanding program that was and continues to be providing excellent resources and an invaluable network upon which I still draw very much. Um, But we'll riff a little more with each other. Elizabeth, I know, has some thoughts she wants to share about um, this topic, being a leader in a crisis and what that means.
0: Terry, thank you so much for those comments. Um, and um, Elizabeth.
2: Indeed. Um, Terry is a hard act to follow, but it's always a pleasure to get to And And thank you all. It's. Um, it's really important, I think, for us to have these moments of shared conversation. And so I'll try to be brief so that we can get to that part where we're sharing conversation. Um, I'm from Appalachia over in Western North Carolina. And you know, the Appalachian mountain range is one of the oldest mountain ranges on the planet. This time of year, it's filled with the most fragile of new life, of things sprouting and blooming and growing and i've been thinking about that recently because i think that sometimes in a moment of crisis we can have a really unstable relationship to time it it feels like it's moving way too fast and we're having to react and oh we better make a decision quickly we better move 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 or that we're stuck and we don't know how to move and maybe time isn't moving forward because we're in this moment and we can't quite see our way out of it. Um, And I think that for me, one of the things that has been really helpful in those moments is to remind myself of what our community's shared principles are, what future we're trying to walk toward together. And I mean that not in lockstep. I love the messiness of universities in particular. I love that we go in a lot of different directions, but I think we do have one or two shared ideas and shared visions for what a future is. And for me, if I can remember that, and then I can remember some kind of key questions to ask about how we might get there. And they're questions like, are we listening to as many of us as possible? Are we making space for Um, exchanges? And are we making space for the expertise that's around us that we don't necessarily ourselves have? Um, And then are we remembering what what that community should be and should look like and how we might move toward it? Then we can be proactive rather than just reactive. I think it's dangerous in a moment of crisis to just react. I think we have to react. I think we shouldn't turn from making the best possible decision we can in a moment, even though it's not the best possible decision ever. I I think we have to do some of those things, but I also think we need to remember to do some of that proactive thinking also. How are the decisions we're making today helping us get toward that shared future, even if it's not taking the pathway that we ever imagined that we'd take. I also think that particularly this moment reminds me that, you know, universities are a really good human idea. We don't do it right all the time. We can always do it better. This is a good idea. And we're needed in the world. Universities are needed in the world. And and if we lead with really listening about what's needed and then thinking about how our, our expertise might actually help in this moment, in conversation in this moment, uh, you know I started with Western North Carolina. Um, the UNC system is the biggest employer in the state of North Carolina. It's also the archive of record for our state. And again, we haven't always done that perfectly. We don't have we we didn't because of our structures of power, we didn't get all of the important voices into those archives but but we hold those archives and there's a great trust in that and a trust and a responsibility to make those better. And that, that matters. It matters for the South. It matters for the world. I, and then again, what matters is if we show up and we listen and we think about what the fight is and we think about how we can do it collectively and collaboratively. So then I guess I would just say the last thing for me um, is I grew up among people who always led with, um, Let's go together. Let's walk down this pathway together. But if you need me to step forward, I'm going to step forward. I'll stop there. Wow. Told you, I think we should get to the, the conversation. Yes. Part.
0: Fabulous. Thank you both for those, for those thoughts. There's a ton, I think, for us to think through and work with. And, you know, I, I hear um, in both of your comments, um, both your own. Um, histories and values and um, and and styles uh, and also I think I hope some of the um, the values that are part of the academic leadership program that ask us to take those big picture questions and make them into how do we do something good at the university so um, so thank you both for that um, I'd like to open it now for um, questions thoughts um, about how um, you know how leadership works in times of crisis Um, if you'd like to uh, to raise a question or make a comment please either uh, use the hand raising function um, or uh, open uh, open the chat you know there's a there's a quote um, from uh, the great uh, 20th century sociologist Pierre Bourdieu, I was frantically searching for it on my phone, but i couldn 't find it so i 'll paraphrase them. The quote is that we have to navigate between the never been seen before and the nothing new under the sun um, and to me, this question about um, you know how you um, work with the strategic plans that have been made before and the values that we hold as pieces of the university and the um, the, the reasons we all were here, that um, those are the, the enduring things, but how you address which of those um, need to be put on hold or need to be shifted in the face of, you know, honestly, this is pretty, pretty much as close to something new under the sun. Um, you know, I, I'd love any thoughts that either of you might have about um, how you triage those two different kinds of questions.
1: Well, I'll start. In my comments, I think part of what I was saying, it is a constant balancing act. And that is a great way of saying it really, of of your two polls. And um, I don't know that I have the right answer for that or a real or a strong answer. I I think, again, it's um, hearing many voices, just as Elizabeth was saying and being aware and, and you know, right, right like right now, when I'll just bring up graduate students, there is no doubt that graduate students are, and staff among our most vulnerable populations right now, and that we need to make sure we are doing our very best for them in this moment. So it, I, I'm kind of getting specific with a very broad question, Andy, but I, I think it is such a balancing act, but it also this whole short-term, long-term our financial constraints. I mean, that's always in my mind too. And yet my impulse really is to think, as I said, in the humane, compassionate way of how to help people through this time. That's not exactly answering your question, but it is constantly, I mean, on an hourly basis, a balancing act for us, and it is hard. And we don't always make the right decisions, And, but I'm hoping that as we wade through all of this that we are ready to, you know, and we've done this already too with some of our uh, decision making that then we extend some deadline or we realize, wait, that wasn't quite right, let's shift here. I think the important thing is as a leader to be able to not always so hard and fast, but able you know that there is a, a flexibility in our decision making too, that we might've thought we made the right decision, wait a minute, now we're seeing some ramifications that mean that we weren't expecting. So we need to shift and, and turn and make it right. What, whatever we, you know, unwittingly didn't do. I mean, it's, I think it's that kind of constant sensitivity and um, ability to listen and, and change. I think that's very important right now. Elizabeth, you may want to add something to that. I'm not sure I answered your question, Andy.
2: <laughs> uh, Terry, I think you touched on something I've done a lot of thinking about recently, which is that a lot of our daily life right now, and, and many of you may find that in the in the worlds you're walking around in, um, come down to the one-on-one interactions, and that that's ironic to say since we're separated from each other, and right now those interactions are are sometimes take a little longer or a little more awkward because we don't, we're we're learning new skills about how to understand each other with these um, divisions between us. But, you know, I think that um, exactly what Terry is saying is that if those, if those um, principles or missions sound good, maybe work on a big scale, but then you find that, Oh, that doesn't work. On the, on the one-on-one interactions, probably they need to change a little bit. And, and vice versa, that those one-on-ones have to, have to work for the whole community also. And I, I know I'm being inconsistent in that answer, but I think that um, thinking about how we can move back and forth between the scale of what we're thinking through, but always remembering that those one-on-one interactions. I mean, we are nothing if we are not each of us together, so so remembering what those one-on-one interactions are, I think it, at least for me is a good guidepost.
3: I have a question. This is Angela Kashuba from the School of Pharmacy. Um, you talked a lot about listening and the importance of listening, and what I think I've learned over the past few weeks is that you cannot over communicate to people, particularly in this time of isolation. Things that you know, it might not have mattered before, it now matters a lot to people to know about, even if it doesn't affect them directly. So I'm just curious as to what you have found and what has resonated um, with the college on types of communication or best ways to
1: communicate in the time of crisis. Thanks, Angela, and it's been great to be with you. I mean, we've had more, um, communications ourselves at an upper level administration, Bob Bluen, our provost has been calling all the deans twice or two, two to three times a week to give us updates and and uh, Kevin and his cabinet meetings. And that is important, like you're saying, Angela, to hear about the whole spectrum of, event, of, 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 of with all the issue, all the situations that are going on right now in this crisis. And that has been important. So I think about that in our college level. Again, it's a huge complex organization with a you know, thousand full-time faculty, almost 20,000 students, uh, 650-some staff, a lot of part-time and adjunct people. So it, it is a, a huge community. And that has been um, something that I've been aware of. You know, We have regular meetings with chairs. I think I shared that with you, Angela. We have regular meetings with chairs a couple of times a week. That's more frequently than we used to, to, to meet. Uh, senior associate deans would meet frequently with their divisional chairs, and they're still doing that, but this broader uh, community of all the chairs meeting together in this time seemed to be an important uh, to have more frequency with everything that's changing so, so quickly. Um, and then we hear from them that they're meeting more frequently with their faculty and staff. And I am trying to meet with staff as well, with departmental managers, with others to just share my thoughts and concerns and, and to give encouragement. But, you know, I, I do know that some people are doing more with social gatherings on Zoom. I haven't done so much of that. And that's been more with the size. I mean, I, I shouldn't say not at all, but that's been more, I think, with the size of the college, Um, I have heard from chairs and others that they're, and certainly like IAH, CPH, others are doing, um, with kind of happy hour events and things like that, bingo, someone was telling me about, you may be doing that, I see Ann shaking her head, and Collins, you all may be doing that, in Arts and Sciences Foundation, I think that offering those kinds of opportunities for people to just let their hair down and, and relax with each other and get to know each other in ways they might not ever have around the water cooler is is great um and i and and i think you offered us some ideas that you all were doing at at school of pharmacy the other day that you might want to share with everybody on this call elizabeth you want to add anything or angela or anyone else i mean I, i i think it is a moment to get to know people in a different kind of way you had some ideas, Angela, didn't you from,
2: from well, your so the one thing
1: response. that, yeah, I'm always, I'm looking for new ideas. Cause I, I, I you
3: know, that, that is the struggle is you know, how much is too much or is it not enough or do different people need different things? And I know. so, you know, while we make sure that we're getting together with our graduate students and our postdocs and our junior faculty in particular, um, one thing that we've been doing that seems to resonate with people and I'm actually surprised how much just sort of small things are are keeping people connected is in the communications that we've been sending out to give updates from the provost office and to give Mm -hmm. um, some sense of plans moving forward and resources that are available with all of that um, perhaps more mundane pieces we always start in our communication with a shout out for Uh, students or faculty or staff who are doing really interesting things or who have uh, continued to receive awards or other things so Mm -hmm. that um, people know that you you talked about the sense of normalcy and so that those things that we've always valued are still going on that those things haven't stopped and then at the end of the communication we've encouraged people to share um, pictures of their workspace, their study space, you know, how they've adjusted. And, you know, we're getting all sorts of interesting um, uh, things back from people, including pets and children and um, uh, interesting uh, uh, spaces and you know, creative spaces. And so having that at the end of a communication, um, just to talk about the humanity or show the humanity of this. Mm-hmm. um people have also resonated with. So, you know, something up front, something at the end that people look forward to and we're getting feedback that they feel more connected that way Um, Mm -hmm. when they see people in their different environments and they hear about uh, great things that are still happening within the school.
1: You're so right. I mean, I was just thinking the last meeting we had with our leadership team and Kate Hens holds up her new puppy and everybody's just like, it's true. It's just getting to know each other in our lives um, and the importance of that humanity. Elizabeth, you want to add anything
2: or anyone else? Yeah, indeed. No, I, I am... I think that part of what we're getting at is that it's a fine line between places where we need to be sharing updates or just kind of, and, and whoever the we is delivering information to each other. Uh, but I think we're finding in this moment that that's not um, that's not especially um, satisfying. It's important. We need to we need to know what all of us need to know, but but we have to work to find some other. Um, what goes in addition to that, and um, I would just echo that's got that's got to flow in as many different directions as we can because the solution to COVID-19 might be sitting, you know, on the desk of the person that we forgot to ask or we forgot to bring into the mm-hmm. conversation. The important context, the the insight from history, the performance that might help us get to those creative problem-solvings and solutions and um, we don't know where it is right now. So we better not make this one-way communication. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I really appreciate what what all of you have said, both of you have said about the the central value of the arts and humanities and you know there there can be a tendency to feel like the arts are um, are gravy, or there are things that we can take care of in, in times of surplus, but they're, they can be jettisoned when there's something more urgent. Um, uh, and you know, I have this cartoon on my office wall at IAH that shows the incredible Hulk um, pinning someone to the wall and saying, "You still don't get it, buddy. Art is not a tranquilizer." Uh, and um, I love the the point of this of this message that. You know, what we want to be trying to do is actually demonstrate the value both now, and I was just, this is an aside, but the, I'm going to pronounce her name wrong, but um, Kizmekia Corbett, the amazing Carolina graduate who is uh, the NIH's vaccine lead right now, um, I was happy to read that her undergraduate major was sociology, uh, and and we're happy to claim sociology as a humanity. Um, but um, that the that understand.
1: Stamped by a sociologist, we all know.
0: Need uh, so I, I you know I, the ability to understand that this is not just um, a, an epidemiologic, not just a scientific crisis, but it is also a human crisis, and that um, you know as Terry said, we're discovering the ways that engagement with the arts uh, is a is a crucial piece of the experience that is shifting and changing. Um, And furthermore, that we ought not only focus on the crisis. And so I'd love to get a a sense from from anyone on the call, where do we think we're going to be in two years, three years, when, you know, heaven help us. We're not, hopefully, still dealing with the immediacy and the urgency of the pandemic. But where will it have taken us? And what will we look like as an intellectual community, an educational community, uh, a, a human community, um, I have, a, I have trouble believing it's going to be um, just back to normal, uh, and uh, my, my, my hope and expectation is that um, the ways that we understand the arts and humanities as part of that picture will, will be super important.
1: Well, I think we're going to see so much research that's done on this period, and I don't mean just scientific or, I mean, I, I think with regard you know, behavioral, emotional, uh, creative works that are going to come forward from this period. I think we're going to see many years of um, a response to this in terms of research, work, and creative activity. Don't you?
2: Well, and look, Normal had a heck of a lot of institutional racism and wealth inequality, and we're careening toward a climate crisis. I don't want to go back to Normal. Mm-hmm. Heavens, I think we can do better than that. I think we'd better do better than that.
0: Here, here. Is there something that I, Elizabeth, I can't help but pick up on that. Is there something that you see in what we can be doing now, whether we, you know, we being any, any, um, any actor can be doing now that helps this, um, this tragedy, this crisis also be a catalyst for some of those big picture um, changes.
2: Well, I'm going li- to live my message. I want ideas from everybody else on the call.
4: This is Rachel Willis. I'm in American Studies. It's wonderful to see you all and see your names or, or stage pictures of the others. Um, I, I've been teaching climate change a grad seminar on climate change communication this semester in a very experiential first year journey called Navigating America, which is now Navigating America in the age of a pandemic. And the other course, we've learned so much. So I was excited to hear Elizabeth talk about the climate change crisis and what our priorities and values are. And I would say in both classes, the the real-time meeting with just very minor exceptions, mostly because of the storm. Monday, some people lost power or internet. And uh, once st- one older student um, having a, a, just needing a break from all the Zoom. Um, I have just felt um, a re-strengthening of the need for the residential college Zoom is not the answer. Um, this I can remember when Michael Hooker introduced the laptops, and everybody said, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna tape you all, and put you in a can." Some people are good at this. Um, I'm teaching two classes, but I, I audit four other classes every day, f- four classes a week. So every weeknight, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I go to a graduate class or something outside the university, and. It's not the same. Um, I feel like that I don't know when we return to being together, but I do feel committed to that. And I do feel the global lessons we've learned is how connected we are, not just to nature, but to other places and to other people and to other generations. And this can only be good for climate change action, which I do think is the biggest threat. So I was really, really glad to hear that. But I don't feel um, that the Zoom meeting, this one included, are the same thing as what we've been doing. And I wanna go back and ask a little trivial question of Terry. she was very quick at the beginning, and I'm not advocating Zoom with PowerPoints, but you know I'm a big note taker. And you talked about the first thing was knowing knowing one's mission, your values, and your strategic plan. And you gave four words. Think, communicate. Got your notes? I know you do. I, do.
0: I, have I need name.
4: to copy it in my notebook. Well that's our that's our college
1: mission. Think. Yes. Communicate. Yes. Collaborate. And create. Create and, and create. For meaningful lives. Well, I think
4: that's absolutely our mission.
1: And I do. I
4: just need you to get an acronym like the STEM going to STEAM or something so that I can remember it. But thank you, thank you, thank you. We're going to send you a t
1: shirt. We're going to send you a t shirt, Rachel. <laughs> help me remember that. Anne's nodding her head. Somebody help me remember that, okay? Oh, we've our, but that we've got our College of Arts and Sciences Synergy Unleashed T-shirts with that on the back.
0: Terry, so those, you, those T-shirts are pretty. Um, they're pretty hard to come by these days.
1: Are they oh, really? <laughs> All right, I'll find, I I'll, will try I'll, to find one for you, Rachel.
4: The very largest size. I've uh, earned um, the COVID-19. You've heard about that. We're entitled to a 19 pound weight gain during this. With no guilt, no judging. <laughs> exactly.
2: Yeah.
4: Um, and, and I, I just want to say how energized I am by our students. And yes, for one small thing that I've done, I brought back something I hadn't done in a while. Um, for my first year seminar, but I've also brought it back for my grad seminar. And it's a college planning template. And uh-huh. we're doing that Monday where every break period, every um, semester, and it doesn't catalog the things on their transcript, but catalogs the co-curricular things and the extracurricular and the friendships and the internships and the travel and the, the, Transformations they find in themselves, and I'm trying to redo it this weekend for the COVID. I'm I'm building that in for the freshmen and reminding them of this huge thing that they overcame their mm-hmm. first year, but mm-hmm. how it's not going to derail them like Elizabeth says. It just changes the path um, as we do navigate COVID. But uh, I'm I wrote I've only. I don't know what ha- they're not applying for jobs and internships um, I r- haven't written a recommendation since that Friday that spring break happened and I was asked to do one by a freshman to renew her scholarship and it was first it was really hard because I didn't even have a complete class but then I realized everything they overcame and I need them to write that down on a resume um, so when they're thinking back at this period, they don't think about the weight gain or friendships that were truncated their freshman year or graduations or other things so that they, they realize that this was a global event that changed their lives and their values, we hope, to meet the upcoming crisis. So thank you both very, very much for joining us, well, for leading right,
1: us today. Rachel, you are, and I've known this for many years, you're a friend and colleague for many years, but I also know what an outstanding teacher you are. And just from those kind of comments that you're saying right now about having your students look at, you know, at that aspect of it, I think is outstanding. I think that's so great. So thank you for all that you continue to do. And, and I'm seeing Viggy. Um,
0: I was just going to suggest we move to that question. Yes. Yeah,
1: I see sure. that. And Viggy, thank you for that question. And I will tell you, and I'm going to go back to a personal situation. I mean, as a performing artist, the and, and so I'm a, for those of you who don't know, I'm a, I'm a pianist, but I'm also a singer. And especially as in both of those roles, but especially as a singer, when you get up on a stage and you're sharing, and that is the word, sharing the art with, you know, you, the people with you in that room or auditorium or whatever. There is a great, and and this is as a teacher too, any of us as teachers, as uh, foundation officers out, in, there is a vulnerability when we are out in front of the public in any way like that. And, and so I, I actually know that that, openness to being vulnerable can also engender the opportunities for incredible communication. Mm -hmm. And it, it is a big risk taking. It's like the biggest risks, you know, are often the highest rewards when you, when you step out and do that. So I am one who believes in sharing vulnerability. I mean, You know, I also know as a female leader, quite frankly, that that probably through the years has been maybe something that not everybody agreed with me about. But I for me, that was the right thing. And I do think that authenticity as a leader is very, very important. Truth telling, directness, uh, the real person that you're seeing as opposed to someone who's just kind of you know reading i was reading some as i prepared some remarks but but you know what i'm saying showing your real self i think is really really important to not every leader perhaps would follow that um, directive but i i think that's critically important i'd love to hear what you think about it viggy and elizabeth may want to say something as well anybody in the in the call and the in the zoom Well, I'll say I I ask um,
3: partially out of selfishness, because, you know, when you teach in a classroom, you consider yourself a leader in that classroom. And I've struggled in in these past few weeks with being positive and strong for my students, but also being very uncertain about what will happen in their lives, what will happen in my own life, and who will be touched by this. Um, So... How much do you put a strong face on even when you don't really feel it in some days Mm -hmm. and and i was just curious is that seen as a weakness and especially if you're a woman are you penalized for showing that authentic worry or concern
2: Mm -hmm. i
1: think maybe you may be penalized that's true i think that again it's a risk but i do think from my experiences that showing that vulnerability opens you to people in a way where they typically want to further connect and learn and be a part of i I think it i think it's a good thing um and thanks misha she's saying on the chat i i agree Mm -hmm. i think students and others are chairs of people with whom you're to see that human side knowing what we're struggling with i i do think that's a way to open further lines. Now there's Mm a, you know, there's a balancing act there with who, with who your audience is, with what you're sharing. There's no doubt about that. But I think that's important. Elizabeth, you were going to say something. Oh,
0: go ahead.
2: I was just going to say that I think three of the most powerful words we have right now is I don't know.
1: Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And then we know at universities how to ask some questions around that and we can do that together.
0: I was gonna say something very similar to that. Thank you Elizabeth was just that one of the things that we can demonstrate so well is understanding that the limits of our knowledge are very substantial and that and that it can be easy um, actually Vigie, I know that you know a lot about this and don't don't do this make a point of not doing this but it can be very easy to seem like we've got all the answers in normal times and so you know, really reflecting upon the, the fact of the lack of knowledge and the opportunity to discover more, I think, is, um, is a way of making that vulnerability work. I do, I worry to some extent with my students that if I portray too much vulnerability, it'll be like, oh, geez, well, if he's vulnerable, then, gosh, we must be really vulnerable. Um, and so that, that flip side of it worries me as well. We've got another question here. Um, Both Terry and Elizabeth mentioned art and archives. One of the things I've read about, it says the 2018 pandemic, I assume it means the 1918 pandemic, is that it didn't result in a lot of enduring art or sharp historical memory. People were eager to forget. So what do we think productive art or remembrance might look like on the far side of this? How do we remember well?
1: Well, I, I will say that I do think of W.H. Auden and Benjamin Britten and being inspired by, I mean, I do think there has been some great art that's been made, certainly in the musical and poetic world from from that period. Now, I, I think that we will see great art that comes of this. I do. I think that's what's happening right now with a lot of artists, that they are throwing themselves into their work in a way you know I, I i do think we're gonna see that i i don't know elizabeth you want to add anything else i i i with regard because we were talking about r n and archives uh
2: i i've been thinking recently about melinda russell who uh was a woman uh lived in the 19th century uh was was from um a part of tennessee that's no longer on the map Um she had all of her life savings Stolen early on. She was widowed early on. She uh, had a child with some physical disabilities, and she was run out of eastern Kentucky in eighteen or eastern Tennessee in 1865 um, because she was an a free African American woman who owned her own business and had the audacity to speak against the Confederacy. And she ended up in Michigan. And the thing that she had were her recipes. She she had run um, a Uh, bakery, she had run a boarding house, she had recipes in her mind. And so we are fortunate to have, I think, a a sum total of two extant copies of her cookbook in our world archives Mm -hmm. right now. And I would argue that's great art created out of the Civil War, but we better Mm -hmm. uh, expand our definition of what art looks like. And I think we don't know the answer to that in this moment, what, what are the responses right now? What is the creativity? What does that look like? We better not go in with old definitions of what counts and what doesn't count. Uh, I think we ought to open up and just um, see who we are as humans.
0: Um, one more question, a uh, person writes, uh, how should faculty balance collaborative research and teaching demands in this time?
1: Well, I will say, you know, we have prioritized students in this moment. But I realize that that is tricky because staff and faculty and everyone's feeling it and under such pressure. Um, I do think the teaching, and, and and it's interesting because as we talk about research, obviously, and you mentioned Kizzy, I think it's Kizzy uh, there at NIH and the kind of work that's going on that you know that our university is so known for. You know, you all saw I think that we're. Number one university in the in, in the um, United States right now for COVID related research and number eight in the world. This was a Microsoft Academics uh, rating that came out last week or ten days ago. I mean, so that research work remains critical, but I do think and and it is a tough balance again a tough balancing act right now for our researcher teachers. It is. I don't. I don't know. Quite the answer especially being asked to pivot to remote teaching the way we have I think it, it's probably a little out of whack right now for most people and that they're going to have to kind of shift and find that balance again I, I do worry about that for our faculty.
0: Folks um, we have completed our hour and I really appreciate um, everyone's participation and engagement particularly Dean's Rhodes and Engelhart. thank you both so much for your Um, for your thoughts and for your leadership Um, I have rarely been prouder to be part of Carolina as I've watched how we've responded to this insane um, terrible direction and um, and proud because of the ways the thoughtfulness with which you and our other leadership are addressing these questions Um, and so you know uh, go with our warm wishes thank you so much Um, and uh, and and we appreciate that value-based, mission-based, thoughtful kind of leadership that um, that we hope will continue to be able to practice. Thanks again, and uh, warm wishes to all.
1: Thank you so much, Andy. Thank, Thank you.